Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I'm Gage Jordan, assistant pastor of Youth and Families at First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Gage, glad to be back. We are uh, coming back today um, after, by the way, we had a really great response to our politics in the pulpit. Apparently that is a topic people are interested in hearing about as we unpack what it is that we, what should we talk about when we gather on the Lord's Day? Uh, what what should the, the pastor talk about? What is his lane that he needs to stay in? Um, one of our one of our most popular episodes yet, but we're back to our Christ in the Old Testament series. Um, for those of you who are kind of jumping into this for the first time, some of you may hear Christ in the Old Testament, and you may think, "Well, but Christ is not in the Old Testament. Christ is in the New Testament." That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are those four biographies of Jesus. What do you mean, Christ in the Old Testament? And the answer to that is that no, Christ is, in fact, in the Old Testament. In all the books of the Bible, Christ is there. He is the subject of the Old Testament. On the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, he told the disciples, um, it says, uh, it says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus' claim was that the Old Testament was about himself. We spent a few weeks talking about how Jesus is in the book of Genesis. We, we talked about Adam. We talked about uh, Noah. We talked about Abraham. And now we're going to move on to the book of Exodus. And Gage, how can our listeners uh, read the book of Exodus with through Christ-centered lenses? Yeah, so I think as we get into this conversation, it's important uh, really to kind of um, – help our listeners, even if you're a first-time listener, to understand uh, what we're saying when we talk about Christ-centered lenses even. Um, you know, I think about and actually had this thought listening to another podcast. I will give you guys a, a, another podcast to add to your your uh, list there. Uh, Pastors Talk, Non Marks actually produces a podcast called Pastors Talk, episode 177 on Your Old Testament Sermon Needs to Get Saved with David King and Mike Bullmore. Uh, one of the things that they talked about that was, I think, a helpful distinction that I want to kind of lay out as we get into Exodus. There's a difference between trying to find Jesus on every single page, like I'm looking for Jesus void of the Old Testament context, right? That's not what we want to do here. But they're, they're, the difference of what we're trying to do and what we're going to do today in Exodus is look at the Old Testament context, and then see the crimson thread of Jesus throughout throughout the the book. So let me, let me tell you what I mean when we get in, into Exodus. Uh, the the first biggest thing is where you start to see what I call hints or or glimpses or even shadows. You know, I think about Chronicles of Narnia when um, 
it p- appears that Aslan has left them, but Lucy keeps seeing shadows of the lion throughout Narnia as he, he gets closer and closer to revealing himself. This is the, the Christ-centered lens or the, the, even the approach that you want to see as you're reading these books, especially as you're reading Exodus, because you're going to see these shadows. You're going to see these glimpses. Sometimes it's going to be super crazy obvious, right? It, a, a good example of that. Um, is in the transfiguration when Jesus reveals his glory to Peter, James, and John, it says that um, Elijah and Moses show up and they were discussing the Exodus, right? That's a, that's a super clear, obvious moment. But then you get shadows like, for example, Exodus 19. So Exodus 19 is the chapter leading into the Ten Commandments. Everybody knows the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, but we oftentimes don't spend a lot of time in Exodus 19 and seeing really the, the Christ-centeredness of the passage. Giving, giving the context, we're going to apply the context in, in Exodus here. You have, you've had a lot of really significant things happen as Moses has led the people um, into the wilderness to meet um, and worship God. You've got manna that has fallen from heaven, which I personally believe um, was the biscuits from the Chick-fil-A chicken minis, but uh, manna fell, fell from heaven. Uh, you see that the, the red, the sea had been split in half. They had walked through it. You see that they were thirsty and Moses touches the rock and water comes from it. So God is providing in, in all these extraordinary ways. And then he tells them in Exodus 19, this is the day I am going to show myself. I'm going to come and meet with you. But when I do, tell them, don't touch the mountain. Don't let an animal touch the mountain. Don't let anybody else touch the mountain. I'm going to descend and you're, and you're going to gonna see my, my glory. Um, but you, it, this is, it, when, it, when God hits the mountain, it's going to be holy ground. So do not touch the mountain. And then it says that as God descended, it was like fire on top of the mountain, that the entire mountain shook, that when he spoke, it was like lightning and thunder, and that the smoke went up from the mountain like uh, kindling, right? So think about like a a big bonfire in in the woods, right? So there's this billowing smoke and this lightning and peeling and thunder, um, what's that got to do with Jesus? It's got everything to do with Jesus Amen. because it's the, it's that very glory that leads you to know, hey, this is the God that's giving you commands. Five, table one, dealing with how you relate to him. To, table two, dealing with how you relate to your neighbor. And it's that God who then tells you in the Sermon on the Mount who as a true and better Moses comes down, comes onto the mountain, delivering uh, an interpretation of the law. You've heard it said, but I say to you, you've heard it said, but I say to you, and he comes not to abolish the law, right? What does he say? I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Why? Because Jesus is the only one that actually could keep the commandments, right? That's right. That's um, right. And so as the, the true and better Moses, the better prophet giving a better law, he's giving you a law that he is going to fulfill. So now you, believer, can hear the third use of the law. You can hear it as an exhortation to holiness instead of a weight that crushes you. And you hear it as kingdom ethics. So when Jesus tells you that 
um, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And a second is like this, to love your neighbor as yourself. On this depends all the law and all the prophets. That's Jesus, the better Moses, interpreting the law for you and and, and setting out the, t- the table commandments. Yeah, and sometimes I think people can can hear what we're doing and they'll maybe think that we're spiritualizing these things that happened in the Old Testament as though they didn't really happen, but they really did happen. Right. Um, right. But but they they nonetheless are paradigmatic, to use a big 50-cent word. What's that uh, mean? Uh, they are a picture of our Christian life. We are like the children of Israel in in a greater bondage than they are. We're in a bondage we're in bondage to our sin. And Jesus is the truer and better Moses who comes and and rescues us out of our bondage and who leads us into the promised land. That's what Jesus does. And so we can read that story of how God delivered his people from their slavery to freedom. And we can see that's a picture of what he did for me as well. Um, and, and, and that's, that's what we see as well. Yeah. You were talking about the God is going to come down in Exodus. God comes down and we behold his glory. Well, what does John say? Right. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have beheld his glory. That's it. That's it. And it's also, you know, takes you to the writer of Hebrews to so the writer of Hebrews. Uh, and we won't get too deep into this because really I, I would argue that Hebrews is a New Testament commentary for Leviticus. So we'll we'll get into the depth of this when we when we do our episode on Leviticus. But here, here the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and a dark darkness, a gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice of whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. It, even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall shall be stoned. Th- that's Exodus 19, by the way. Right. Verse right. 21, indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable angels and festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Like, that's the writer of Hebrews taking you from Exodus 19 to Jesus. Right. right, and even explaining to you what it means now to be a part of the church in light in light of what Jesus has done, and so now you read Exodus and you hear it of a story of a God who heard the cries of His people and came down. Even even in that, it's the cries of a of a broken people who's who realize, hey, we've messed up, we're we're trapped, we can't get ourselves out. We need a savior. And so then now you go back to that passage at the transfiguration in in Luke 9, and you see, okay, if Jesus is talking about an exodus and he's talking to Moses and he's talking to Elijah, what's going on there? What's all the law and all the prophets, right? In in that moment, the the representative of of the mediator of the the law, Moses, the, the prophet of all prophets, Elijah, having a conversation about Jesus and the the language that he uses there of an exodus shows that that even everything that's going on in exodus is 
constantly pointing to something greater. Right, right. Well, consider the consider the Passover meal. Consider the Passover where where um, the 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 angel of death passes over, uh, and those who have the blood of the lamb smeared above the doorpost of their of their home are spared because a a a lamb died in their place. Um, I, if you can't if you can't see Christ there, then you're 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 really really. Uh, you don't you not only do you not understand the old testament you don't understand the new testament Correct. and and what does jesus do at the last supper well it's a passover meal it's a passover meal that he transforms into into um what we celebrate as the lord's supper that's it and am i if i could do my best chad bird impression for a second right um in this, it's it's important that we understand the the language of of the scriptures is the language of the Exodus. The Exodus was always a narrative that was given to the people of God, and it carried with them through the rest of Scripture. You see Jeremiah thirty one, for example. We often go to that passage when it comes to how we understand baptism. One of the things that God tells the prophet Jeremiah is I'm going to do a new thing, not like what I did when I brought your uh, ancestors out of the land, your forefathers out of the land of Egypt, right? So he's he's contrasting this new covenant promise against the Mosaic covenant, right? Uh, You see in Romans chapter 10, when Paul is uh, explaining uh, the gospel and explaining where um, his brothers in the flesh, the Jews had missed it. One of the things he says, Romans chapter 10, verse five, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is bring Christ down or who will descend into the, the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the bed. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That That is the word of faith that we proclaim. But if, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll see through the rest, the rest of the scriptures, this narrative and story of, and this is where I'm going to sound like Chad Bird, that we are constantly prone to, to want to go back to Egypt, right? Amen. We're, That's we right. are constantly prone to want to kind of wander away from the promised land, wander away from God's goodness, wander away from God's presence, presence and build for ourselves golden calves, right? Yep. And, and look for the Egypt and go back to the shackles and try to constantly run, run to the, to the sin and to the bondage because we think we had it better then, Right. Uh, that that the thing that God has to do is is to get the exodus out of us. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I want to recommend a couple of, of resources um, because maybe some of our listeners are hearing this for the first time. Uh, there is a, a crossway published of several years ago, uh, the Gospel Transformation Bible. I think Brian Chappell, um, a, a fellow PCA pastor, uh, is the um, is the editor of that. And one of the one of the things I really appreciate about the Gospel Transformation Bible as a study Bible is rather than um, offering commentary on individual verses, it offers commentary on chunks of verses. Right? It, it keeps them kind of more in context. But it's going to, especially in the Old Testament, it's going to give you commentary on this in light of the gospel. 
And so mm-hmm. in their book introductions, uh, it's super helpful uh, uh, as helping us see uh, here's in the, you know, I'll just give you a little, uh, uh, a little glimpse. It says Exodus offers the greatest paradigmatic. I didn't get the word from Brian Chappell. I already knew that word offers the greatest <laughs> paradigmatic redemption event in the Bible prior to Christ's incarnation. As such, it is profoundly good news to captives, to those who labor in bondage to sin and misery. In addition, it shapes Christians' continued understanding of and hope for redemption. In the redemption gained through the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and continued ministry of Jesus, we have a new exodus, a fulfillment of what exodus pictured for the people of God. Another another great um, book that I would give you, uh, coincidentally by another Brian, would be Brian Estelle's book. You know, Brian um, is... Uh, a professor, uh, been involved with the Westminster uh, Cali guys, and and also with with RTS uh, Jackson. Uh, he wrote wrote a book back in 2018 called Exo- Echoes of Exodus: Tracing a Biblical Motif. Let me just tell you a little bit of that description here. Uh, Israel's exodus from Egypt is the Bible's enduring emblem of deliverance. It's the archetype. Uh, anvil on which the scripture language of deliverance is shaped more than just an epic moment. The Exodus shapes the telling of Israel and the church's gospel from the blasting furnace of Egypt's uh, imagery pours forth in the songs of Moses. Yahweh overcomes the Egyptian army, sending them plummeting into the sea. But the Exodus motif continues as God leads Israel through the wilderness, marches to Sinai and on to Zion. It's, it fires the psalmist poetry. It inspires Isaiah's second exodus uh, rhapsodies. And as it pulses through the veins of the New Testament, the gospel writers hear the exodus uh, and it resonates from Jesus' birth to the gates of Jerusalem. Paul casts Christ's deliverance in exodus imagery and the apocalypse reverberates with exodus themes. And ex- Echoes of Exodus, Brian Estelle traces the motif as it weaves through the canon of scripture. So it's a, it's a great book. I would 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 it recommend uh it to our readers and our listeners rather um and That's good stuff um, yeah really just he- it helps you understand that now that when you read the psalms you'll start to recognize exodus language when you read the prophets you'll recognize that exodus language you'll understand that every time that they say this is not like moses or if you remember moses moses did this or um when I brought you, your people, your ancestors, your forefathers out of the land of Egypt, you'll see this Exodus language all throughout scripture. And you'll realize that Jesus, the true and better Moses has brought forth a better Exodus in himself. Yeah. Gage, uh, we're not actually doing anything magical with the text here. We're actually just, we're actually just reviewing ways in which the new Testament writers make reference to the old Testament. If only there was a really helpful software tool that people could use to 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 resource research those sorts of things do you have any suggestions oh man that was slick that was slick um yes i actually do so uh, as we uh, announce at the beginning of every episode uh, assurance of pardon is sponsored by logos bible software uh and logos bible software has a lot of these tools has a lot of these resources that we've even mentioned you can actually go to the store 
uh, on Logos's website, and you can look up every pretty much every reference that we we've ever mentioned on the show ever. Uh, right. Chances are there's a digital copy of that in the Logos Bible software. You can add it to your collection. You can read it from your phone, um, and it, it can help you kind of dig and and better see Christ and all of Scripture um, as we we go through the series. Yeah, Amen. Well, brother, I think that's a good place to stop. Hopefully this has been helpful. And if you have any questions about this and where we're seeing this and, and what what things are kind of driving uh, resources, influences, uh, professors, books, things like that, that we haven't mentioned that's influencing our, our hermeneutic care, we'd love to connect with you. Please hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, you can always uh, email us as well at contact at assuranceofpardon.com. And until next time, this is Assurance of Pardon. God bless.